Okay, turn to Luke chapter 5, please. We're going to continue our series in Luke's Gospel. Today, it's a time for everything. A time for everything. Luke chapter 5, verse... 33 through to 39. Let's have a look at those verses, reading from verse 33 in Luke chapter 5. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old, if otherwise then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth a new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles will perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also, having drunk old wine straightway, desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. In the first reading we were looking at the old covenant, the new covenant. Now we're seeing in our passage for today, old garments, new patches, old wineskins, new wine. And it reminded me of something that was said in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Let me read that to you. I actually played um, a song this morning by the birds, some of you might know it's a, it's a, an old pop song, but it's got these lovely words in it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to get and a time to lose, loose, 
A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend, a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. In this morning's passage of scripture, we'll see that there is also a time to fast and a time not to fast. And there was a time for the old covenant, but now is a time for the new covenant. Sunday morning last week, we considered the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners in the house of Levi, whom Jesus called to follow him. He left his tax collector's office to follow Jesus and he would later become the Apostle Matthew. The self-righteous scribes and Pharisees took issue with the kind of people that Jesus and his disciples associated with, whereupon Jesus, the heavenly physician, said to them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In today's passage, Jesus is questioned about fasting. Let's have a look again at verse 33 in Luke chapter 5. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. In the details of this event, as recorded in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 2, it can be seen that they, the they in, um, in what I've just read there, where verse 33, they said unto him, they referred to the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees and they were asking the Lord Jesus Christ why they and the Pharisees fasted but the disciples of Jesus did not fast. I don't know about the disciples of John the Baptist but certainly the Pharisees and no doubt their disciples made a big show of their fasting and Jesus had something to say about that in Matthew chapter 6 verse 16 through to 18 where he said to his disciples moreover when ye fast be not as the hypocrites that would have included the Pharisees be not as the hypocrites of a sad, of a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast verily I say unto you they have their reward but thou when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There is nothing in those words of Jesus to suggest that he was opposed to fasting. In fact, he was, he was giving instruction to his disciples about fasting. 
However, Jesus was clearly opposed to fasting in order to be seen and praised by men, such as the way that the hypocrites, which would have included those Pharisees, put on an act as they walked around looking pathetic with sad and twisted facial expressions when they were fasting. You'd have to wonder why those who inquired of Jesus imagined that his disciples didn't fast. Most likely it was because they never saw evidence of fasting in their demeanour. Maybe at the time of asking Jesus, those who were inquiring were were having one of those very public fastings, twice weekly fasts with sad and disfigured faces whilst the disciples of Jesus dared to look cheerful. Although amongst the inquirers there would have been those who spurred on by their masters, the Pharisees, sought to accuse Jesus, probably looking for praise from their masters, the Pharisees, as they sought to accuse Jesus, Uh, accuse him of doing something against the law or against the traditions, the many traditions that had been introduced. And they would have sought to accuse Jesus of trying to discourage fasting. But also there may well have been others, such as John the Baptist's disciples, who were genuinely interested in knowing more on the subject of fasting. And they were keen to listen to what Jesus had to tell them. Let's have a look at verses 34 and 35. And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. In a very gracious way, the Lord Jesus Christ answered those who questioned him about his disciples by talking to them about a bridegroom at a wedding with all his friends. Presumably, that would have been a joyous occasion that did not lend itself to fasting. Who would think to fast at a a wedding? The point that Jesus was making is that fasting has nothing to do with a twice-weekly ritual, but rather it depends on a person's situation at any given time. Jesus was the bridegroom, his disciples were the children of the bride chamber. Whilst Whilst Jesus was in the world with them, it was not a time for fasting. Also, the Bible speaks of the new heaven and the new earth as being a place where God is with his redeemed, a place wherein dwelleth righteousness, a place where God shall wipe away all their tears, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Somehow, I don't imagine that will be a place, the new heaven and the new earth, I don't imagine that will be a place where there will be um, fasting in sackcloth and ashes. However, by asking, uh, by saying in verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away, Jesus was of course alluding to the time of his death which would indeed have been a time 
and an occasion for fasting and mourning, great sadness. In the illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ gave about the bridegroom and the invited guests, it speaks of a very close relationship between the two. And that depicts Christians who, by the grace of God, have entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. It is a relationship in which they abide in his love and he abides in them. It is a relationship that is founded upon the love of God for each and every born-again Christian. A love of God for his chosen ones, chosen before the foundation of the world. And it is a love that is best seen at the cross where the incarnate Son of God carried in his own body the sins of everyone who would ever trust in him and he took those sins away. By way of application, maybe you're someone who you never fast. Maybe you're someone who fasts for health reasons. Maybe you're someone who fasts for religious reasons. For example, perhaps you are when you're under conviction of sin. Fasting is all part of your repentance towards God. Maybe you're someone who fasts when you pray to God about certain matters that weigh heavily on your heart and your mind. There's nothing wrong with fasting for those reasons and they can be as much a part of what you do as a Christian, a part of your religion, a part of your worship as anything else, as praying is. However, what needs to be understood is that like praying, your fasting is a matter between you and God. Speaking and praying, that's another thing that the Pharisees made a big show of and Jesus warned against that as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, he said to his disciples, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So, it doesn't mean to say every time you want to pray you have to go inside your wardrobe and shut the door. But the point is, The point is that when you pray, it is something between you and God. I think you know what I mean. Sometimes we can pray collectively and you might get someone who seems to be praying horizontally rather than vertically. And and, and really you get that feeling that um, perhaps they're, they're basically lecturing everyone else in the place instead of praying to God. And maybe you've done it yourself. Maybe I do it as well and that's why I'm so familiar with it. I don't know, but we're not to make a show of our fasting or our praying. It it is something between us and God. Also, if you fast or pray in order to earn merit with God towards your salvation, 
what you are doing is striving to establish a righteousness of your own before God. And that is a very serious matter indeed. It is doomed to fail when you consider that it is by grace that you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Fasting and praying is not something you do to get saved. When you think about fasting and the hypocrites that Jesus referred to, what was happening in the first century most certainly is still happening today. For example, Muslims, they have their annual month of fasting and that fasting is the fourth of five pillars of Islam. In other words, fasting is one of five things that they must do to earn merit with their God. Christians can also be guilty of seeking to establish a righteousness before the only true God through works such as their observance of the annual observance of Lent, which is a period of fasting, moderation and self-denial. By all means, observe Lent. It's not in the scriptures, but that doesn't mean to say you have to abstain from it. Observe Lent. But understand very clearly that it is not a scriptural requirement and it will add nothing to your standing before God. The Christian's acceptance before God is entirely in the one who is being remembered during that 40 days of observance. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he, that is Jesus, did eat nothing. And it is that if you observe Lent, you do so in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Let's read verses 36 through to 38. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. Looking first at verse 36... Imagine that there was a situation whereby you had an old jacket with a big hole in the elbow. It had become threadbare. You put, uh, you tore a piece of, nice piece of material from a, a new garment and you used, used that piece of material, that new piece of material, you used it as a patch on the shabby old jacket of yours. Then as soon as you bent your elbow, the old material separated from the new. That situation is what is being presented by Jesus. The point is that the old cannot be preserved by the new. And coming to verse 37, 
wine bottles were, and in some places in, in the world, still are made of animal skins. Old bottles would have lost their stretchability. Yeah, I did, I checked, that is actually a word. Old bottles would have lost their stretchability. So, what would have happened if an old bottle was filled with new wine, is that when the wine expanded, as it continued to ferment, the bottle would have split, because it would have had no flexibility. The point is that the new cannot be preserved in the old. In a similar way, the Jewish religious teachers slavishly followed and taught a religion of salvation by works that laid an unbearably heavy burden on people to keep their man-made traditions as well as keep God's laws and to observe various rituals. As I'm keen to say, point out to you every time, nothing wrong with God's law. The laws of God are holy, beautiful laws. The laws of God are all about loving him with your whole being. Loving our neighbour as ourselves. Wonderful laws. Holy laws from our holy God. But, you and I will never ever keep those laws. The fault lies with us. Because we are sinners. The Apostle Paul, he said, I would not have known um, lust until I've read, thou shalt not covet. And that law, the, 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 what is it now, the Tenth Commandment, it hit him like a sledgehammer. He read that commandment, wow, that's me, I'm guilty. Guilty, I have a covetous heart. That's what the law does to people, it convicts them of their sin and their need of the Saviour. Anyway, the, the, these old religious teachers and the, the Pharisees and the likes, they slavishly tried to keep God's laws and, and all their traditions and, and make their disciples do the same thing. An unbearable burden, an impossible burden for anyone to bear. That mentality prevails today with many people. For example, God's old covenant dealings with Israel had in place various feasts and sacrifices and religious observances, all of which were a shadow of what was to come. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant. The old covenant has now vanished away. It has gone even so, people such as the religious Jews sought to retain the old covenant practices. Also, Jews who had become Christians, they looked back to the old way of doing religion. We saw that in the first reading, the epistle to the Hebrews, looking back to the old religion which involved worshipping in a man-made temple. Also, in the old covenant, priests and the high priests were appointed from the tribe of Levi, there were animal sacrifices, there were special feast days, and so on and so on. Even now, there are professing Christians who seek to restore all of those redundant practices, despite there being a shadow of things to come, with Jesus being the substance. 
Jesus is the temple in which we must worship God. He is the great heavenly high priest and all who are trusting in him are themselves priests of the most high God. Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Last of all, let's look at verse 39. No man also having drunk old wine straight away desireth new, for he saith the old is better. People are often reluctant to change old habits and old ways of doing things, even when change is for the better. It's not I, I, I tend to think that the old ways generally are better, but that's obviously not always the case. Sometimes the new is better than the old. And that is what Jesus was saying. There are those who will insist that the old wine is better, even if the old wine is killing them. That's how it was and still is when it comes to the things of God. It is ingrained in the sinful hearts of human beings, us, to do all sorts of things, to jump through no end of hoops, such as doing works of the law and various religious observances in order to establish a righteousness of our own before God, despite the fact that all of us are lawbreakers. All have sinned, all come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. The new wine is in fact infinitely better than the old. What that means is that through living a sinlessly perfect life and sacrificially laying down his life, the mediator and surety of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, has himself done everything to secure forgiveness for sins and everlasting life for all who have by the grace of God repented and trusted in him. Nothing more to be done. They are people who stand before God, their Heavenly Father, accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are adorned in his righteousness, having been washed and redeemed in his precious blood. Amen.